turn with me to Revelation 18. We are fastly approaching the end of Revelation. We are picking up a part two message of Mrs. Babylon, part two. And uh, we're going to get to that after a word of prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, as we open the scriptures, we ask that the Holy Spirit present among us would open our hearts. We want to uh, make sense of the truth here, apply it to our hearts, open our eyes that we could see the wonderful things that you have in store for us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I was reading some interesting facts about dreams. I didn't know this, that every single person dreams. You have to dream if you're alive. And uh, you dream about one to two hours a night. And uh, we forget about 90% of those dreams, for which I am very thankful. Amen? (laughs) Aren't you? Uh, Now, some people dream in black and white, and some dream in color. How many of you, like me, dream in black and white? How many of you don't pay attention to whether there's color in it? (laughs) Yeah, I know. But if you think about it, you can figure it out. I mean, if you have a dream about, you know, a, a, a green lawn or something like that, I guess you could figure it out. But outside of that, we're kind of half and half. Um, did you know animals can dream? I did really, I, I know, I knew that because one time I was watching Rosie and she was having a dream for sure of, of definitely about chasing cats and not being allowed to for some reason, because she was really raring to go. The most common dreams, uh, revolve around falling, flying, being chased, but not able to run very well. Yeah, those, those legs just won't move. The brain is saying, you need to run, and the legs are going, where? <laughs> and uh, the last one was a common dream, showing up in a public setting, shall I say, inadequately attired. <laughs> yeah, all oh, right, moving on. Now, on a different level, there are prophetic dreams where... God is speaking through them like he did with Joseph and many others in the Bible. I'm not sure it's wise uh, to see any spiritual significance in the majority of our nonsensical dreams, but God has certainly made his will known through the men of old. Um, Now, one of my favorite incidents involving a dream is from Daniel chapter 2. And really, it has a direct bearing on Revelation 17 and 18, because God gave the then king of the known world, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, over the Babylonian Empire. He ruled over really the whole earth at that time. Uh, He gave him a dream about the end of the world. And uh, we're seeing that lived out in Revelation uh, so sl- slide number one here, King Nebuchadnezzar, let me uh, review that dream with you because it does have an, a bearing and brings us to a context of where we're actually at. Um, the king gets a dream, the Lord gives him a vivid dream that troubles him, and, and this is around 600 BC when Babylon went in, modern day Iraq, went over and, and took captive, destroyed Judah, 
and took captive uh, thousands of Jews and brought them back to Babylon. All right. So Daniel and his uh, few friends are among that crowd. So the king has this troubling, vivid dream. He calls for his own philosophers uh, and astrologers, astrologers rather, and they are called the Magi. And yes, Daniel was one of the Magi there. And uh, the king says, listen, guys, uh, I've had a troubling dream and I want to know what it means. And the wise men are called in and they say, okay, king, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. And the king says, yeah, right. Like that's going to happen. How will I ever know that you're not just making stuff up? Here's the deal. You tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. (laughs) Well, the wise men say, you know what? Um, no one in the whole world can do that for the king. Nobody. Only the gods know what you dreamed. And then he said, that's okay. Then I'll kill you all. So you guys have 24 hours to come up with my dream and what it means or you all die. So they went out with the decree and Daniel was getting rounded up to be killed because he and his boys also were up and coming Young Magi. And so Daniel said, listen, told the guard, go back, tell the king, give me one day, and uh, let's see what tomorrow brings. So over the night, through the night, the Lord reveals the dream to Daniel, and Daniel goes back to the king and says, oh, king, I can do it. I can tell you what you dreamed. But first, let me say that it's not because I have any wisdom greater than anybody else, but it's because there is a God in heaven, and he will reveal the dream through me to you. And so uh, there he goes. So he says, here's the dream you had. He said, in your dream, you saw this enormous statue. And he said, the head was of gold, the chest silver, the midsection bronze, and the legs iron and the feet of iron and clay. And then the rock uh, cut out of a mountain, not with human hands, fell and smashed the toes, came to the feet first. And then the whole thing crumbled to the ground. And then that, and, and then the wind blew it away like chaff. And then that rock just grew and the rock became the whole kingdom. So then he said, and now I'll tell you what it means. The third chart here. He said, the Lord has told you, king of kings, lowercase, because you rule over the whole earth. You start, starting with you. These are successive world kingdoms to come, starting with you. And so starting with you, we've got the Babylonian Empire, the Media Persian the Greek, the Roman, and then the end times. And, and then he says, he says, and I'll quote, the God of heaven has showed you what's coming. He will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. That's from Daniel chapter 2. And then Daniel got a fat raise. (laughs) Thank you for the pictures. 
Revelation chapter 6 through 16 actually show the process of that boulder coming down to the last empire, starting from the head all the way down to the feet. The feet would be the end times, the uh, human institution of government and the world systems are all blown away, but it happens as God destroys the last regime, the feet of that statue. And Revelation just gives us a blow-by-blow description of that boulder coming down. It's a seven-year descent upon those feet, which brings an end to Mrs. Babylon, who Mrs. Babylon is really nicknamed for the entire satanic world system that puts man at the center at the expense of relationship and glory and honor to the rightful king of kings and lord of lords. Now, as the boulder nears the earth, Revelation tells us that the trumpet sounds on a day when there's business as usual, Matthew 24, that believers are caught up into the heavens to meet the Lord, 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. And Mr. Wonderful, the Antichrist, rises to power with his sidekick, the false prophet, empowered by the devil himself. Um, He is really in the world by and large will worship the beast and take the mark of 666 and whatever that and all of what that means. Uh, But God will rain down 21 judgments upon the the Christ rejecting world, which has left the world as in our studies we have seen. We're already past this leaves the world in a charred smoldering mess. And the boulder from heaven has accomplished what it was set out to do. And now it's the end of chapter 16, and we should be seeing the face of our Lord, which comes Revelation next chapter 19. So it should go 16, 19. But there's 17 and 18 is a parenthetical explanation for why this thing really had to be destroyed, what it was, who it was, and why it wasn't redeemable any other way. There was no, as I said last week, uh, the system in the world that, that drove everybody off the cliff wasn't redeemable. The people were, but the system had to die. And, and those foolish enough to cling to her And so that's really what we're looking at right now. God wants to explain a little bit why it all had to go down in the ferocious way that it did. I have written here, really, he wanted to expose the crazed bus driver who drive the inhabitants of the earth off that proverbial cliff. And in this case, the driver of the ill-fated bus is likened, and I'm sorry for the harsh way to put it, She's likened to a crazed prostitute, and I've been calling her Mrs. Babylon. The Bible just calls her Babylon and does refer to her as a woman of ill repute, but I do call her Mrs. Babylon. She's nicknamed that just for context uh, because of Babylon was the birthplace there with the Tower of Babel that stretched into the heavens that defied the living God and said, send your flood. 
Uh, we'll waterproof the deal and we'll make it so tall your flood's not going to affect us anymore. And by the way, at the top, we're going to worship the way we want to worship because we're making a name for ourselves. Thank you very much. To heck with your name. So since that started in Genesis 10 and 11, in Babylon, Babylon is nicknamed for the whole thing from the seven, all 7,000 years, the systems really are Babylonish. And so that's where we get that word. <clears throat> so just a little about her. She's a wealthy, attractive prostitute who seduces the world with false spirituality, corrupts the world with covetous materialism. So we saw God deal with side A, her false church side of her. That's done away with by the Antichrist. The Antichrist put up with her, lets her ride on his back for three and a half years because he kinds of needs her. But then he wants to be God. At three and a half years, he goes into, uh, into the Great Tribulation. He goes into the temple and proclaims himself God. But we don't need her anymore because she's the false church. So he and his minions put there by God in his heart to destroy her. He, the Antichrist, destroys the false church part of Mrs. Babylon. That's chapter 17. Chapter 18, which you have in front of you, is she's also a false economic commercial center. She is what drives consumerism, that, that the answer to life is the idolatry of money and stuff. And, and at the expense of your relationship with God. And so chapter 18 looks at her de demise. So in short, if you take everything uh, wrong with the world, the root causes behind the world's spiritual rebellion and everything, the power-hungry, oppressive governments, the greed, the corruption, everything, you wrapped it up in a person, you would get it, a woman named... Mrs. Babylon, who the Bible refers to as a prostitute. Now we see her punishment. But not only her punishment, because prostitution is a crime. But so is a crime to solicit a prostitute. So we see Babylon destroyed and those who love her. And no offense, sleep with her. They get the same punishment. And so we're going to take a look at that. Uh, chapter 17 and 18 is said to be uh, the obituary for the fallen world. Uh, Mrs. Babylon's funeral, uh, there's a reading of her obituary. We already read 17. Uh, and, and now we're going to look at, really, in chapter 18 at her funeral, if we're, if we're going to go with that. Uh, it's a funeral song. It's kind of a dirge to the world that's laying there smoldering and reeling and about to pass away forever. Um, Mrs. Babylon goes belly up with the rest of the world too. Byron said it this way, when falls the Colosseum, Rome shall fall. And when Rome falls, the world falls with it. In the end, all the nations are destroyed, but really, uh, the first one to go is the kingpin called Babylon, a literal city. And when she goes belly up, the whole world knows it. And it's the end of the world as well. So here in chapter 18, in Ode to Mrs. Babylon, 
you're going to see the chapter divide quite nicely in three ways. One will be the reasons for her demise. Two will be the reactions for, to her demise. And three, the results of her demise. So you've got the reasons, the reactions, and the results of Mrs. Babylon's destruction. All right, let's take one through eight, the reasons for her demise. Now, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Now, right away, we just recall that that the the Antichrist kingdom was plunged into supernatural darkness. And so this may be during that time. The angel comes, and, and there's light around him because there's darkness everywhere else. With a mighty voice, he shouts, Fallen, fallen! Is Babylon the great? She has become a dwelling for demons, a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. So let's pause at that happy note. And, and uh, we are at a funeral, all right? And so it has to be. And so the reason she had to be annihilated, she was really wicked through and through, but she didn't stop there. She stumbled the entire world. And so uh, she has to be judged. Uh, men, men are not told, and she's like the Titanic. She is doomed. She is going down. And, and the world is told about the world system. Christians, rather, are instructed not to try to patch the hole on the Titanic, but to man the lifeboats and help people survive and get off of a sinking, ill-fated, doomed vessel. That is the message of the Bible. The Titanic doesn't recover. People can be saved. The ship will be lost. And you're reading about her demise right now. So the first reason given for her demise is that she's filthy. Spiritually speaking, she's dirty. And that is dangerous to the human soul. Now, from all appearances, Babylon is, man, she's clothed in scarlet. She is a well-dressed woman. She's dripping with pearls and precious stones. So, and she's called a city, a literal city. And so don't get the idea that she's some kind of ghetto place. And uh, she is uh, a modern buildings, well-kept cities, beautiful parks, landscape out of this world, beautiful people dressed in beautiful clothes, 
dazzling architectural wonders, great wealth and affluence, nicely dressed and designer, everything. Now, verse 2 says, here's God's perspective on this great city. He says, it's like a rotting landfill of everything nasty. Everything unclean hangs out there. Impure devils and pigs and vultures. Spiritual garbage dump from God's estimation. And it just reminds me of one of the church's descriptions there where uh, they say, hey, we, we don't need anything. We're, we're, clothed, we're clothed in luxury. Uh, we're healthy. Uh, we have everything we need. And the Lord looks down and says, but you don't realize you're actually naked and, and sick and ghastly and weak. And so what the world's perspective of great and healthy and wow isn't always how God looks at it. So verse 2 tells you what he thinks of this sparkling gem of a city because the heart, it, the heart of that city is godless and idolatrous and all it cares about is money and stuff. That's it. It, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that bling, not swing. Sorry, I changed the words there a little bit. Now, as such, she is contagious because in verse 3, it says, the kings of the earth, the nations have committed adultery with her. They, they went to visit her. They went to visit her, and, and, and they were communicated a disease. And that's what happens. I'm sorry. When you visit people like that, you get a little bit more than what you bargained for sometimes. And that's what she's saying. The Lord is saying, kings of the earth went to her. And the nations of the earth have, have been to her bed or drank from her cup. It says committed adultery with her. So I'm not even going too far. Uh, committing adultery is a metaphor often for spiritual infidelity in the Bible. So uh, she's dangerous. So as such, here's the exhortation in 4 and 5. Uh, keep your distance, my people. Keep your distance. That's going to be hard because she's, she's everywhere. She's on every street corner. She's in your house, through the television. She's on the internet. Mrs. Babylon is alive in every generation. She goes full bloom at the end. But right now, she's seen for sure. My people have nothing to do with her, paraphrasing four and five. My people have nothing to do with her. Get out of her way. Get out of the way. She's going down, so keep your distance for your own safety. She's going to pay, be paid back double for all her crimes. And we'll get to those crimes specifically. But right now, I, I love that God always makes a way for his people. So the spiritual application of come out of her really starts in the days of the flood. When Noah preached for what is 120 years, come out of her. There's a way out, there's a door, there's an ark, there's safety. Come out of her and come in to the Lord and be safe. And then next, the days of Lot and Sodom. Come out of her, be safe. And Lot and his family came out and went up and were safe from God's judgment on a city that had disregarded him and his ways and his commands. Come out of Sodom, flee to higher ground while God brings the judgment. The distance is a good thing. 
Now, if the criminal is going to go to the gas chamber and you really want to cling to him in those last moments and they can't pry you away from him, you're in danger of getting gassed to death too, aren't you? Because you're in the way. You're connected to something that needs to be judged. And the whole point of judgment in the Bible is, is that hell was never meant for human beings, but for the devil and his angels and for anybody foolish enough to cling to those two sentenced He's after evil and sin. And and the devil who originated it all brought it to the planet. And unfortunately, those who cling and, and won't give distance and won't come out of her and be separate. Uh, that's what the Lord says in, in, in even to the Christian church. I will be with them and be their God. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Paul the Apostle writing via the Holy Spirit, to the Corinthians. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. When it says there, come out from them and be separate, the word is aphorizo in the Greek, and it means to mark off from others with boundaries. To be holy is to be separate. That's what that word means. Separate from sin, separate from Mrs. Babylon, the way the world thinks and behaves and does business, its values, its customs. In in an immoral sense, we're all part of a world, we're all part, part of culture, but we can see when culture becomes sinful, we're like, no, thank you. And so a call to holiness, come out of her. So in one, ha- in one sense, that happens when we receive Christ. Jesus said, I'm the door. Well, when are you the door to? He's the door out of judgment and out of the world and into safety and life with him and eternal life. We leave being inhabitants of the earth and we become citizens of heaven. And that makes all the difference in the world. And it's pretty important because Paul, writing to the Hebrews, says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy because, and I quote, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without coming out away from your own sin and Mrs. Babylon and the world and the devil and all his games, without coming out and coming to him, you will not see the Lord. Just plain and simple. I really like when we can, we can water it down to just one little sentence. You know, it'll stop you from thinking, am I, am I not, am I, yeah, yeah, just it. If you never come out from anything with your sin, then you, you're not going to see him. That's not my opinion. That's uh, what Hebrews says. So uh, what does that look like? Well, you know, he may be saying to those who live in that literal city, okay, watch out, my hand's coming down, they're all going to experience it. Like, get out of there. That could be, but mostly it means to come out of her means we don't act, think, speak like her, the sinful world. We don't adopt godless attitudes. We don't worship the things they do. 
Uh, we fear the Lord rather than fear men. And when God, with, with, we, we worship God and his will matters most. We don't prostitute ourselves with the misuse of sex and pleasure and money. We reject materialism and live with contentment. Uh, we refuse pride and choose humility. When we deny ourselves, pick up our crosses. That's when you're coming out of her. Come out of her and be separate. And so, who or what are we dealing with in the fall, in the last day? Is Mrs. Babylon a sum total of the wicked satanic world system? Uh, is that what she is? Or, as chapter 7 seems to say, is she an actual literal false church on the earth? Like we could look over there and see, wow, that's, that's her, the false church, with a name on the, the door. Is she that? Or is she, as chapter 18 seems to say, uh, that she is a world economic superpower that corrupts the earth with greed and pride and materialism? Is she that? Well, I love what one commentator said, and I agree with him. In my view, his view, which is now my view, it is best to see her as all three, intertwined and yet somehow distinct. The wicked system has been around forever. Uh, the false church seems to be destroyed by the Antichrist. We see that in last chapter. Commercial Babylon, the city that seems to represent it all, holds on to the end when God brings final judgment. Then the wicked system that's always been around from the beginning, the false church that manifests at the end of time, and along with that literal physical city or region that is called Babylon exists and they fall and the, the three of them and all of it never seen again. My point, does it matter if we know what country or city we're talking about here? Because as you'll see, it, it says city over and over, maybe a dozen times. City can mean country or region. So everybody wants to know who, who's, who is this nasty city slash region? What does it matter? When the last bowl is overturned, every nation's destroyed. When Christ comes back in one more chapter, nothing's standing. So to me, yeah, what, what's the point? We're all curious. Is it, is it them? Is it them? Is it them? You know, nobody wants to say, I, I think it's uh, irresponsible for anybody to say, it's this. I just, I think it's irresponsible because nobody really knows. Because yeah, yeah, I can make a case for three different places. The point is that we don't know who she is exactly, but we know what she stands for and why we should hate it with all of our hearts. And what does she stand for? Three things, really. Self-indulgence, pride, arrogance. She boasts that she does, verse 7, she doesn't need a thing. She sits as a queen. I'll never be in trouble. I've got everything I need. I don't need God. The worst part, of course, is she stumbles the whole world who looks at this city slash region uh, as uh, the role model. So she gets the whole world drunk and makes them crazy, coveting people like herself. 
And she replaces faith and love for God with this never-ending love of self and excessive luxuries, and she leads the world in the worship of materialism. So the Lord says, apididomy to her, pay her back. That phrase means to give back to her. Now, in the law, it says that in Leviticus, that where there's thievery, you pay back double. So there's a suggestion there that Mrs. Babylon is filthy rich, but it, 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 the way she got filthy rich, her, her business dealings are corrupt. And so there's a shout out that she's, she's going to uh, be punished. And that's why she has to be ruined. And the Bible says, puts it this way, really, in a paraphrase. I'll get what I need out of this life. I, it won't have anything to do with you, God. I'm on a crusade to teach others to hate you as much as I do. Because I love me and my stuff, my money, my body, my pleasures, my time. And I want others to experience this liberation from you as well. Now go away. So God just doesn't take that very well. I don't know. He considers it sort of an insult, especially the part where, and I'm going to teach the whole world to follow in my footsteps. Yeah, okay. So we've seen why she has to go. Now let's see the reaction. 9 through 20. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery, there it is. Of course, it's not a literal but it's a spiritual infidelity there with her and shared her luxury. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They'll stand far off and cry, woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their Cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly woods and bronze, iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice and incense, myrrh and frankincense of wine and olive oil, fine flowers and wheat, cattle, sheep, Horses and carriages and BMWs and sorry, I just I I think BMWs are great. I just noticed carriages and wanted to just pick a luxury car, and that came to my mind. No emails tomorrow. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have nothing against Beamers. <laughs> Moving on, and human beings sold as slaves. And they will say. The fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand afar off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour... Such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captive, captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there 
ever a city like this great city. They will throw dust on their heads and they'll weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she, had been, she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. All right, so we're at point number two, the reaction of the world to the demise of Mrs. Babylon, a city, a country, a place, a populace. The word Greek, in the Greek, polis, it can mean all of those things. So apparently, the demise of this superpower is a global spectacle and sends the world into a kind of tailspin of shock, fear, and grief. Now, if we're taking, uh, taking all of this uh, as literal, as I believe we should, since chapter 17, verse 18 says, and by the way, she's a city, um, a couple reasons commentators believe that she's bombed and by nuclear weapons. First of all, because it's fast, swift, and, and, and thorough in the destruction. The one-hour thing, verse 10, in one hour your doom has come. Verse 17, in one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Verse 19, in just an hour reduced to nothing. Uh, the paraphrase is that in a single moment, in just, just a little moment, all that wealth and power of this great, gigantic economic superpower of the, the highest luxury the world has ever known melted to nothing in just a blink, in just a moment. Uh, so the world's primary reaction, surprise, is rooted in self-interest. Uh, there's no desire to come and help, and there's no desire... Uh, to uh, for the people, the loss or grief of people. All they care about is verse 11, the merchants weep and mourn. Who's going to buy all our stuff now? Because apparently she is a consumer-holic. That the nations of the world go to her with everything. And notice in the list, it's all luxury items. Commentators say she had plenty of riches herself to maintain affluence and comfort but she could never get enough. So the whole world said, you're a crazed, covetous maniac who just lives for stuff. So we will happily oblige you. And the whole world sends their stuff to her and she buys it all. And when they see her maritime ports billowing up smoke from a great distance, they cry, not for her, but who's, if this economy goes down, who's going to buy all our stuff? She bought the most of our cargoes. From her wealth, we all got wealthy. Now, if the cash cow is slaughtered, if the money tree is burning up and the smoke is rising, Babylon smoke going up, then Woe to us. Woe, 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 poor us. And the tears are flowing and all of this. It's just terrible. So really be careful where you find fulfillment. This spoke to me. I, I've heard the saying, it's all going to burn. But I forgot 
that it's all going to burn until I had to live in these chapters. Literally, literally, what you see outside here, this building and outside in Santa Rosa will be charred remains because the Bible says the whole world is destroyed. Every mountain range, every island, every city collapsed by that great earthquake at the end. There's nothing left. So if in one hour, the, the place that could boast the 10 greatest yachts you've ever seen. Have you ever seen these shows? Uh, to get the covetous juices flowing, you know. They, <laughs> the 10 greatest yachts. You're just, you could live in the bathroom on the yacht like a king. It had palm trees and parrots. What do you need palm trees and parrots in your bathroom on a boat? <laughs> I don't know, but everybody's out doing the other one. And then the 10 greatest houses, mansions, estates you've ever seen. And the 10 top billionaires and the 10, all of these shows. And you, you go to their, you go to these 10 top resort type shows. And you're like, are you kidding me? I couldn't have even imagined such a place exists. And in one hour, gone. All of it melting. In itself, nice things and money, very necessary. And it's neither moral or immoral, it's stuff. But when that stuff becomes God, it becomes the enemy, public enemy, number one. And God says, I'm going to destroy that because I'm jealous. You like that better than me. She poisoned the world. This is the way it is. Happiness is in stuff and in money and in power. Jesus said, I suggest, just personally, my opinion as the son of God, I suggest that you... <laughs> I suggest that you put your money where embezzlers, economic collapse, and financial ruin, and nuclear bombs cannot destroy. That would be in heaven. So that we, after we use our money to take care of our families and ourselves, put food on the table, we take care of our homes, we go on our vacations, and then we have money to go beyond ourselves and extend and invest in the kingdom of God. I stole this from one pastor who always says, money is a cruel master, but it's a good servant. It's a good servant. We can do a lot of good, especially in God's kingdom, with money. But she doesn't think so. Mrs. Babylon she thinks it's all about her. You make money for you. Never give. And if things are tight, don't give a penny. Not a penny. Oh, you have money for a latte, but you don't have money to give to God's cause. Oh, you have money for a new outfit somehow, magically, but not a dollar to the kingdom of God. The spirit of Mrs. Babylon. Be careful. All right, now that all the toes have been stepped on, shoom. <laughs> it just, you had that look. I'm sorry, here we go. 
All right. And not only is she uh, wicked and self-absorbed and faithless, she's a killer. Uh, somehow that all we care about money spirit is behind doing away with human beings as well. And so that's where you see the souls of men listed in the cargoes. Because when you love oil and gold, and it's more precious than blood, then at the bottom of the list, you'll always find human beings who are exploited and taken captive. So whether that means there's human trafficking, which as commentators say, because we don't revert to probably slave like we think of slaves, but we think of poor people being oppressed and women being trafficked and trafficked. <laughs> I made that word up. And uh, you know what I mean, unfortunately. Okay, lastly, let's hear the results of her demise. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea. And I just want to say, hey, doesn't that remind you of the millstone statement that Jesus makes? He said, for those who stumble others, it's bad enough that you yourself are a sinner. But when you stumble others and take them down because of your sin, he goes, it'd be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck, tied to your neck and thrown into the sea. So here's the idea that because not only is she self-absorbed, but she, she stumbled the entire planet. Now, the millstone thrown into the sea, and here's kind of like the death certificate. With such violence, the city, great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be, never to be found again. The music of her harpists, musicians, pipers, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. The merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray in her was found the pool of prophet, the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, all who have been slaughtered on the earth. And so, really, a notice here of the refrain, no more, never again, no more, never again. The world had experienced a lot of judgments from God over its 7,000-year history of sorts. Uh, but this is one from which she will not rise. You know that commercial, I've fallen, I've fallen, and I can't get up. Well, so, seriously, <laughs> this is going to be fallen, fallen, and she can't get up. And I... And I Seriously, it, I don't care what you think about the funniness of that joke. It really captures the Lord's sentiment here. She's fallen, and there's always been falling. At this time, there's no getting up. And so he, it reads like a death certificate. Just so you know, after this, you see the smoke, and everybody's thinking, well, you know, there's only way we can always. No. Oh, no, no, no. You're not going back to work on Monday. No. 
and 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 there's not going to be you know turn on the radio and hear a new latest hit song no done there's no more movies no more academy awards that go out and lull the world into some kind of stupor none of no more entertainment no more amusements it's over did you know the word muse comes from to think and ah uh, means against or not to so amusement is to not think <laughs> i i think for a while sometimes it's good to be amused but uh i think this is in a bad sense the bible says no more of not thinking because you didn't think about what really mattered and none of that will happen again it's only one thing left now Jesus appears. C.S. Lewis says, said it this way, when the author of the play appears on stage, everyone knows the show's over. That's what's next. You're going to turn the page. There's going to be some hallelujahs, and he appears. And he's on a, a, a meet and greet and defeat mission. Uh, he's going to get up close and personal with the Antichrist and his armies who gathered to make war against him. And so he puts a quick end to that, but we'll see that as soon as we change channels now, that's the next face we see. But the Lord wanted you to know, you know, I'm not just this arbitrary, capricious kind of God that just decided, you know what, I've had it with earth. Boom. You know what? He gave her seven, he gave Mrs. Babylon seven thousand years to get some therapy to go into rehab you know what you know what she said about rehab you know what i'm not going this not for me uh it just doesn't work for me i've been there i've tried it and all of that with all her excuses no way but god didn't say he couldn't uh save us from her now now notice this with me as we go into communion and the guys get ready to serve us Notice two things here, and somebody from the congregation brought this to my attention. At the end of the judgment of the sinful world, if you'll remember, after the seven bulls got turned over, and it's over, and every nation is leveled, and all the mountains in the earth, all of them gone, every island, the big nation islands, covered over, the earth is not recognizable, and there's a voice from heaven that says, it is finished. God's wrath poured out full strength, the Bible said, on her and the Antichrist. Babylon in all its glory, bam. And it's not recognizable as a human habitation, right? Oh, there's another place where he says it is finished, where there's judgment, right? So he he pours out all his full strength wrath upon his son as the sin bearer sacrifice of the world. And on the cross, God the son says, it is finished. And if you look at his remains, as Isaiah says, you could scarcely recognize him as a human being. The earth, it is finished. Unrecognizable as a planet the savior, the sin bearer, it is finished, unrecognizable as a human being because of what the wrath of God did to the object of the sin. He became sin who knew no sin 
He was the sinless one. He didn't have a human father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's the God-man. He took on the sins of the world. And as a result, you couldn't even recognize him. As I said before, you looked at him on the cross and say, what? What? It, but not who is it? What is that? So God said, listen, sin's got to be judged. It's going to happen. And I will say it is finished, but I'm going to give you two venues, humans, through the 7,000 year history. You get two choices. Do you want to cling to what is going to be charred remains of Mrs. Babylon? You want to cling to her or cling to the savior of the world who will be charred remains, but you will get the gift of life. Have you heard that story about the, it's an old sermon illustration. I really like it. Uh, Firefighters going through the remains of a terrible forest fire. And they found a, a, a mother hen, like a peacock or, you know, pheasant, a mom, and just charred with the rest of the lands, landscape. And the firefighter kicked it over with his boot, and it just flopped real stiff, like a charred remains that it is. And out come all these little chicks, chirping away, scattering all over the place. Yeah, he was charred beyond belief. The lightning bolt of God Almighty's fury against sin. Every sin that every human being ever committed was laid on him. And bam, charred to a crisp on that cross. But just flip over and you see all these babies safe, shielded from the heat. Because we came out from her and went to him. And that's what communion is all about. We're going to celebrate that as a symbol of that charred remain and that, that sponge for the wrath of God that he was, that he took, is symbolized by bread and a cup that we take. He says, do this, think about me. But what I did for you, when it goes inside your heart and is braced, it gives you not physical life like bread and drink, but spiritual eternal life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love and just the necessary evil of doing away with wrongdoing and falsehood and sin and evil. We thank you for the joy of knowing that a good goodness prevails and goodness is coming and a kingdom established that will never end, one of righteousness and truth. And now we're just so thankful that by your grace you wooed us out of her and to your son. We couldn't have done that without you. And now we celebrate the what made life possible, the death of our Savior Jesus. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.